Welcome on into Cougar Tracks. It's a post-game reaction edition of the show. I'm your BYU insider, Mitch Harper. BYU falls to Texas 35-6, giving you the reaction from Austin, Texas. I was inside Darrell K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium to see BYU in its one-time Big 12 Conference matchup against the Longhorns, and they fall, again, 35-6. to There was a lot of content on kslsports.com, so you can go check out all of that, but definitely wanted to share my reactions to this loss for the Cougars. BYU now falls to 5-3 and three on the season, 2-3 and three in Big 12 Conference play. Texas improves to 7-1, and 4-1 and one in the Big 12. First thing I want to start with is that I feel like BYU's effort was there. I don't feel like BYU rolled over and quit or, or gave up in the game. There was parts of that against TCU where I felt like, did they show up? I felt like BYU was invested into this game, and they were, they were present and they showed up. So I think that was a positive for BYU in this Texas game. I think another positive for BYU was the defense – I thought, by all accounts, played pretty well. I know the final score, 35-6, to would say, yeah, they got ran off the field. But anyone that was watching that game, 21-6 to in the fourth quarter, BYU was hanging tough midway through the fourth, and then you know Texas overwhelmed them late into the game to, to really tack on two scores that made it look like a bigger blowout than it actually was. But the BYU offense, and this is where we'll, we'll dive into it a little bit deeper, the BYU offense completely struggled. They just lack any sort of identity right now on that side of the ball. And that is so surprising to see an Aaron Roderick BYU offense just completely stalled because that's what it is right now. They don't have answers through the air. They don't have answers on the ground. They are completely grounded. They ended up with 292 total yards, 197 through the air, 95 rushing. Just a tough day for BYU. It got tougher when L.J. Martin was rolled out before the game, but still, I don't think the presence of L.J. Martin is going to drastically change that performance for BYU's offense. L.J. dealing with an undisclosed injury they suffered against Texas Tech. He was going through warm-ups, looked like he was running okay, but kind of a precautionary deal, as Kalani Satake talked about in the pregame. A lot of questions, a lot of finger-pointing, I think, from fans right now centered at Keaton Slovis. I think the blame for the offense as a whole probably goes, again, to the coaching staff, Aaron Roderick, the coaches. That's where I think the blame has to go to the most, but I do think the execution from Keaton Slovis is concerning. The month of October was not pretty for Keaton. All three games under 200 yards passing. There were a lot of throws against Texas, especially early on, where it felt like they could have been picked and it could have been house calls for Texas. Slovis just is not getting much time. I felt like he got a little bit more time than in weeks past, say, against TCU. But still, it's just it's he's struggling right now, and and look, I don't think Jake Retzlaff is just going to save BYU and turn around this offense because 
the play calls aren't going to drastically change with Retzlaff. But I think one thing with him is he does have the ability to run a little bit, and he can get out, and it's kind of another number that you have to account for in the opponent's backfield if you're an opposing defense. That's just not the case right now with Keaton Slovis. And in a numbers game, these defenses tend to have the edge. BYU just can't run the football. And what a crazy difference it was from the last time BYU was in Austin where they just ran wild with Taysom Hill, Jamal Williams. Those guys, as a Texas reporter said up in the press box after the game, Jamal and Taysom are not coming through that door. No, they're not. Not at least this season. But I think what's one thing with Slovis in the game against Texas, you can kind of understand, okay, hey, it's Texas. They're a great team. How good are they? We'll see down the stretch. They, they kind of looked vulnerable at times, I thought. I was very underwhelmed with Malik Murphy in that game. But it's kind of a deal where you say, you know what, it is what it is with Texas. This wasn't expected to be a loss. We'll continue to ride with Keaton and move forward to the next week. Okay, that's fine. But I think next week against West Virginia, if there is struggles, I think you maybe have to consider not necessarily a permanent change, but again, the spark angle. I asked Kalani Sataki in the post game about if there was any consideration to go with the spark as they've talked about in other positions in the past, uh, you know, in other spots, whether it be running back or, you know, there's been switches in other positions before many times throughout Kalani's tenure just to kind of get a change of pace. They didn't consider that for slowest, and I get that. That's okay. That's fine. But I think time is of the essence. You have to win one more game. You're going to be an underdog in the final month of the season, and what happens if Slovis struggles against West Virginia in that first half? Do they make the switch, or do they consider it a little bit more, knowing there's only four regular season games left, and then if it only ends up being four more games for the entire season, Jake Retzlaff could still redshirt. We'll see. Maybe that's the whole piece here to all of it, is that they don't want to risk losing that redshirt for Retzlaff. I I don't know. I I still think he extended another week with with Keaton Slovis. And I think Keaton Slovis can turn it around. He's had games this season where he has passed the ball at a high level. I mean, put up 300-yard games when BYU was a one-dimensional offense, and that's what they've been all throughout the season. So it's not like Keenan Slowis can't get it done. The offensive line's been underwhelming this year. It is what it is at this point. They just they are what they are. I mean, there were some throws where Keenan's like running for his life. Offensive lines let him down. And when Kalani Satanke talks about they got to protect for him, to me, I look at that as saying, offensive line, you're not performing. And then you look at the offensive line coach, Daryl Funk. But the issues go beyond Keaton Slovis. He's only one guy. You know, BYU has a lot of problems right now. Wide receiver. You know, Chase Roberts looked like he was dealing with a hamstring late in that game. His left hammy was getting massaged by trainers. Keanu Hill was out. Cody Epps has been pretty much a, a non-existent, non-factor through eight games. Who would have thought that coming into the year? Darius Lasser had a really good game. He had a nice catch. There could have been another big catch, but you know he had a hand on it, but just couldn't come up with it. BYU just has no identity on offense right now, and that is worrisome when you need at least one more win, just one more, 
That's all you got to ask for. Where does it come? You look at the rest of the schedule. West Virginia, they're 5-3, and three, trending up, just coming off a win over UCF. Iowa State, they're in a tie for first place in the Big 12. Oklahoma's in that tie, and so is Oklahoma State. Three of the five teams that are in a first-place tie in the Big 12, BYU has on the final four games. Tough, tough sledding for BYU. Look, no one was expecting BYU to roll into Texas and just show up and dominate the Longhorns. But I think one of the things that I always felt coming into this game was show well. I think the defense showed well. But the offense did not to the point where there was never a legitimate threat that you felt uneasy if you were a Texas fan or Texas coaching staff. Steve Sarkeesian went for it multiple times on fourth and goal because he knew, okay, if we get stopped, they're going 98 yards and they're not going to do anything with a 98-yard field to work with. It was kind of like, yeah, you're my alma mater, great, but we're not threatened by you at all. Okay, your defense can get a goal line stand. where This is the learning opportunity for Malik Murphy to get better for the weeks to come as they chase a Big 12 title for the first time since 2009. That's how I looked at that. Because honestly, it was kind of silly by Texas to go for it multiple times on fourth down when they were only up by two possessions. They could have shut the door instantly right there, made a three-possession game with a field goal. But they wanted to get Malik Murphy that opportunity, that situation, to see how he performs. And he didn't perform well, and credit to the BYU defense. And that's where I want to dive into next. The BYU defense, look, again, the numbers don't look great on a box score. 35 points, 6 of 11 on third downs. But what I like about this BYU defense is that they play with some violence. The cliche, they fly to the football, yes. But I think also they just make plays. There's playmakers that emerge from this defense. Eddie Heckert, Blake Mangelson, Zay Banya, Tyler Batty. Crew Wakely, Camden Garrett made some plays. BYU's defensive players did everything they could to give the offense a chance. One of the biggest backbreaker plays, honestly, though, was off an interception, oddly enough. Crew Wakely comes up with the big pick, takes it down to the Texas 10-yard line, but then Max Tooley gets called for a block in the back, and it puts BYU on their own. I think it was like 42 Somewhere there, somewhere near midfield. And that basically sunk the, any hope of scoring. It, it was such a backbreaker penalty by Max. And that's, gotta, that's, that's the sort of stuff that's got to be cleaned up when you have the, that sort of thin, razor-thin margin against a very good team in Texas. You can't do that. But I like how BYU showed on defense. And Sialia Serra, is he emerging as the starting Mac linebacker? Because we didn't see much Harrison Taggart in this game. Sally Acera finished with eight tackles, one tackle for loss. He did have that one play where Jonathan Brooks stiff-armed him, and it looked initially like Brooks ran in for a score and trucked Camden Garrett, but he stepped out of bounds at the two-yard line. So freshman mistake there. He, he had the opportunity to make the tackle, just couldn't come up with it. But I just like the way that Jay Hill gets these guys ready. I think there was a readiness factor where nothing really surprised them. I think they were dialed into the scheme because you thought – uh-oh, is Malik Murphy going to do what Josh Hoover did two weeks ago and rip this defense apart? He didn't do that at all. Malik Murphy 
What's crazy about him, too, is he, he went 16 of 25 for 170, two touchdowns and a pick. Some of those passes, those completions he had, the 16, I got to say about four or five of those were floaters that felt like, ooh, there's a chance BYU could go make a play. He floated some passes. I didn't see as big of an arm as I was expecting to see from Malik Murphy. Now, he got banged up a little bit, too. Max Tooley got a good shot on him, and there was that, that drive near the, that, that's the first goal line stand from BYU where Texas was doing a little bit of the wildcat, and they are kind of dancing around and getting cute with the play calling. Malik Murphy looked banged up. So that kind of impacted his you know, ability to, to take the real big shots like he's known to take. But, you know, I was not as wowed by Malik Murphy as I was expecting to be. And I think that makes Texas a little vulnerable heading into the final month of the season. This notion that it was going to be a cakewalk for Texas and Oklahoma back to Arlington, not so fast. Because K-State's looking pretty good now, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, all these teams kind of on the come up in the Big 12 Conference. So it's going to be a crazy Big 12 title race. BYU, of course, doesn't factor into that championship hunt, but they can definitely play spoiler. And that's going to be the chance for BYU going forward. But the Texas game, I just, I think that it was a, you know, a lot of missed opportunities for BYU in a lot of different ways. And you hope that they can get healthier going forward with LJ Martin, with Chase Roberts, with Keanu Hill. There's just some real issues there. I mean, Paul Miley was questionable coming into the game. He ended up playing, but banged up. I mean, and even Keaton Slovis. You know, last week, Keaton Slovis, as I was talking about here on the on the postgame drive, coming home from the Texas Tech game, you know, his left hand kind of took a hard hit, and he took some hard hits again and just got back right up. So he's taking shots, and how much is that impacting his ability to complete passes and, and his balls downfield? So it's got to factor into the equation a little bit, but BYU's offense is worrisome. And... Aaron Roderick's got to figure out something because it feels far too much that BYU is way conservative. I was a little bit disappointed, too, at the end of the first half where BYU just kind of took the foot off the gas with less than a minute to go. You know, they took it over deep in their own territory with less than a minute. And look, I get it. You're, it's 21-3. to three, But if you could have got aggressive like you did against Cincinnati a month prior— Maybe get a field goal. Will Ferrin's become reliable. If you can get within 45 in, he's going to have a good chance at making that kick. And you just get a little bit of more momentum heading into the second half. But they just went conservative, and they did handoffs to Aiden Robbins. Very surprised by that. I, I thought that was an opportunity where you get aggressive because, again, this was a game where the final score, 35-6, to six, it's what pretty much the outside world thought was going to happen. Texas is going to roll, comfortable win. It is what it is. So that's what it played out being. Why not go down swinging? You know, there was more opportunities where they got a little more aggressive in the second half, and, and they did do that going forward on a few fourth downs. But I just thought that decision in the first, at the end of the first half to me said that they're, they're not willing to be aggressive here. And that was a little bit disappointing, I thought. I, I thought that was a missed opportunity where just – hey, get some confidence in this final drive of the game where maybe Texas could be caught sleeping and you go on the attack. So you talk about sleeping. 
the kick returns and punt returns. That's an area that's kind of get improved. Uh, both, you know, a couple different guys, Parker Kingston, Keelan Marion, some questionable decision-making on when to return kicks. That's got to get better. Uh, you know, there was that one from Keelan Marion on a kick return where it was near the sideline, and it's either going out of bounds, and you're going to take the ball over the 40, or it's going into the end zone, and you're going to take over the 25. He returns it, and I think he got it out to BYU's own 17. And in a game where every yard matters against a defense that you're struggling with, you got to get those yards. Whether it's you know five, six, seven, eight yards, those are critical yards, and you can't afford to be behind the chains. And look, BYU's got to get better on first down too, uh, on the offensive side to put them in a better position to get some third downs because you only got sec two two out of thirteen in the entire game. That is just problematic. And the second conversion came late in the fourth quarter. But those return decisions, that's got to improve. Uh, very uncharacteristic from BYU to have that sort of you – know, I, I, I kind of get the mindset. They were trying to be aggressive. They are trying to make a play and make something happen, but it just wasn't there. you gotta, you got to play the odds in that situation and go with what you know is going to work, and that's going to get you to the 25 or in that situation near the sideline, get you near the 40. When you talk about knowing things too – inexcusable from BYU to not know you can't take back-to-back timeouts in any situation anymore in college football. That's a new rule this year. BYU had a great drive, 15-play, a time-consuming drive in the second quarter without, you know, nine and change, and they finished it off with a field goal. That was felt like a little bit of a loss to only end up with three points in that spot because – they had a great drive. You got to cap that thing off. And you're faced with a fourth and two, and you're going to go for it. You come back out, out of a timeout. You get a look at Texas, what they do, and then they're ready to burn another timeout. Steve Sarkeesian was freaking out. He was going, What on earth is going on? He was chewing out the refs because you can't do that. And the BYU offense looked like they just were walking off, like they were moving on and, and, going to the sideline to talk about it. It's like, guys, you can't do that. Keaton Slova said in the postgame that he knew that's not allowed. And Kalani Satake said that that's on him, that uh, he takes the blame for, for not knowing that. And, and he, he should, because those are the type of decisions you cannot have. Uh, BYU has had some head-scratching timeouts and decisions in games where you want to have your timeouts and your, your full collection of those timeouts in the most critical situations necessary. And to, you know, and you had it that timeout where you wanted to take the second one, but you, you can't do that. You can't. So they had to take a delay a game. And instead of a fourth and two where you're going for it, you go fourth and seven, fourth and eight, and you got to kick the field goal and you settle for three instead of a touchdown. If you go and punch that thing in with a touchdown, 21-7, feels a little bit different. It feels like a, again, you're probably not sweating if you're Texas, but it's like, okay, you, you better respond because BYU's now got a little bit of confidence. When BYU got a field goal, that, that felt like an L. That felt like a Texas win rather than BYU is turning the corner and they're going to cut into this lead. Just a lot of different things that BYU can fix and clean up going forward that they got to they gotta tighten up and... I like how the schedule sets up down down the stretch. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be challenging, and it's going to test BYU. But we're going to learn a lot about this team. And how fun is that 
in a BYU football season where you go into November now, and usually it was UMass, it was Liberty, it was New Mexico State, Utah Tech, Savannah State, Idaho State. We're going to learn a lot about BYU in November for the first time in years. And that's fun to see. And I'm excited to see what this team does. I, I do feel that it's not player speak or coach speak. I feel like this team still seems pretty bonded and they're re- ready to get back to work and turn this thing around. I'm buying into that. I think that they will stay together and not do finger pointing and things like that. But they got to get better. Uh, the on-field products just got to get better. And I don't know what you can honestly do after eight games to suddenly change your fortunes. I think they got talent. I think they got the ability. But, man, the execution is just far from what I expected, particularly on the offensive side, to this point of the season. But they got another chance. Coming up on Saturday, next Saturday, October, or excuse me, November 4th, BYU at West Virginia, 5 o'clock kick on FS1 and KSL News Radio. Extended pregame will kick off at high noon. I will be in Morgantown next week to get you ready for BYU and West Virginia. So that'll do it for this edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed all the coverage from Austin, Texas. If you missed any of it, go to the KSL Sports app, kslsports.com, my social media feed, at Mitch underscore Harper. And I will talk to you next time here on the Cougar Tracks podcast, and it's always powered by KSL Sports.